Kathy Woods, creator of Body Mind Equine and author of Yoga for Riders, is a pioneer in combining yoga, mindfulness, and horsemanship to improve horsemanship from the ground to saddle through the use of yoga postures and principles, supporting mindfulness and horsemanship, and supporting equine wellness. So in this podcast, I'll talk to Kathy about what it means to create your own personal practice and how it can create more unity between you and your horse. So here we go, episode 114 with Kathy Woods. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Kathy, welcome to the pod. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me on the pod. So good to be here with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, yoga is just such a, <laughs> a deep and important subject, and uh, we're going to be kind of getting to know each other uh, at the same time. We've, we haven't really had many conversations, and uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Me too, and I really appreciate you um, having me on and, and wanting to talk about yoga and mindfulness, and I'm so excited over the last few years to see the entire equestrian world really embracing the practice of mindfulness and yoga and energy awareness. Um, it's very refreshing, so um, thanks for being willing to share about it and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's integral to horsemanship to have that sense of um, self-awareness and being in this present moment where the horses are living and I think yoga is just such a great tool for that um, before we get into you know sharing all of all about that uh, I know you had said that you were kind of into yoga from a very very early age and, you know, for me, people will ask me, like, how did you first get into horses? And I'm like, I don't know. I think horse was the first word out of my mouth. I drew pictures of horses. I rode around, you know, pretending to be a horse. So, like, I know what it looks like to be, like, a horse crazy girl from the beginning. But what does it look like? What does it mean when there's, like, a yoga crazy little girl? <laughs> what does it mean to be, like, yoga yeah. aware at such an early age? Yeah. That's a good question. Um... I don't even know that I knew it was yoga till I got older and really got more formally introduced to yoga and then saw that these interests and practices and things I was doing in my life at age six, seven, eight years old were very yogic in essence. Um, I did not grow up in a yogic family. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. Dad was a truck driver. So it wasn't like I grew up in this um, yoga world. And at that time, um, in the 60s, when I was born, so I'm dating myself, there was no internet. There were no magazines with yoga all over. So I'm not really even sure where those interests came from other than I could say they were probably inborn. Um, but I would do things like meditate and contemplative states, and I knew there was very much value to challenging myself to sit in maybe a challenging like lotus pose for 30 minutes, and I would watch like a cartoon and um, time myself for 30 minutes, and no matter how fidgety I wanted to get or uncomfortable I got, I trained my mind and my body to just stay present and stay with that. And I was, you know, very contemplative and very body aware, always stretching and moving. And I did, um, was involved in dance and gymnastics, so that kind of supported the physicality um, aspect of it. But um, my parents did think it was a little odd that, you know, this kid who really was not exposed to this had these kind of interests and awarenesses. And then I did get formally introduced to 
meditation at a pretty young age. I was in high school, um, so uh, I, I was introduced to the practice very early on. Um, whereas so many people now learn about yoga when they get older and they, they say to me, I wish I would have had this practice when I was younger, when I was in school, when I was in college, when I was first getting involved in horses, because it, for me it, it is a, a lifestyle and not just a practice. Yeah, I'll bet your parents love the part of you sitting still for long periods of time. It's like a parent's dream. <laughs> they did love that because I'm not wired that way. I'm I'm a little active and hyper, so it was like a training ground for me to discipline myself. I knew there was value in doing that and being able to go beyond the mind and what the mind wants to do and what the body wants to do as far as fidgeting. Um, so I knew there was some value to kind of transcending the mind and just being for periods of time. Yeah. I, I always kind of think uh, we're born we're born these like pure spirits and then our domestication comes mm -hmm. in <laughs> and you know we get caught up in life and human society and things like that and it seems like yoga is such a deep practice I, I wonder how much of it is about sort of trying to return to obviously it takes it even deeper you know return to this state that I think sometimes little kids are just inherently more more present <laughs> I, th I think we all have this capability I, to be present until we yeah. life kind of teaches us the wrong thing sometimes yeah I fully agree with that I think um, we get conditioned become products of our environment and our very fast-paced world and we do lose I think some of that purity and that presence and that essence and and to me that's the rich part about yoga is it's a tool that people can use in their lives to harness to anchor to come back to the present because i think now more than ever life is moving super fast technology is super fast our schedules are jam-packed and you know we feel like we're on that fast-paced treadmill of life and when we stay in that mode it's literally exhausting. So to be able to have those brain breaks or to be able to move your body and release tensions, it's so valuable. And truly yoga you know, has been so misunderstood in our culture. It is primarily um, looked at as a physical practice of exercise and stretches, whereas the whole of yoga dives much deeper. There are eight limbs, eight aspects to yoga, breath work, different meditative states, inward and outward observances of someone wanting to live a yogic lifestyle. So there's so much more to it than meets the eye. And in our westernized culture, we have focused on the physicality and the cute yoga clothes. Um, but there's a, a much deeper and richer and ancient and sacred side to the practice. And, you know, tying it into horsemanship, Karen, or with horses per se, um, the word yoga means unity. So it means to yoke or to unite body, mind, and spirit. And it also is believed in the tradition that prana, which is life force energy, is flowing through each of us, through the trees, through the planets, and through the animals, and really interconnecting us. And I think when we start to look at our time with equines in a more interconnected, integrated uh, way, the time is richer for them and for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the physical part, obviously, just being one small part of yoga. But I think, like you said, these in our world today, so much is digital, so much is, you can't touch it. Like you can, you can go through a whole day being on the computer, and nothing that you're doing is connecting your experience to your body, <laughs> you know, and I think we're so lucky as horse people to have horses, because it, it's, is a connection of like our self-awareness in this moment and this other physical tangible thing that we can mm. feel and we can sense and we can exchange energy with so i think now more than ever like to realize the sort of yogic potential of horses and that experience yeah i mean this digital stuff like you know i have to go outside just like i need to just sit on the grass you know <laughs> after yeah. too many hours in on the computer I get that. It disconnects you. It has a way of fragmenting our energy. Yeah, maybe 
Can you talk a little bit about those eight limbs of yoga, just to kind of get give us a little sense of, you know, yoga is so much more, like you said, than, than just mm. the cute clothes and the, the class that the gym offers. Um, I'd love to like hear a little bit more about those, at least just what those eight limbs are. Okay, yeah, we can talk about that. That's a topic kind of in and of itself, but I'll try to give you the, the nutshell version of it. So there are the yoga postures, um, which are called asanas. Um, there are the, the pranayam, which we call yoga of breath. So there are various breathing techniques uh, that a yogi can use, and those tie in very nicely to our time with horses, by the way. There's a practice called Pratyahara, which is probably one of the most important limbs. It's the practice of noticing when we wander out of the moment and have that ability to come back to the moment. So that is a, considered a, a very important limb that kind of sets us up for the different meditative states. So there's there's Dahrana, Dahyana, Samadhi. So again, not to get too yogic, but these are different stages of meditation, some that are more contemplative, some that are pure stillness, some that are pure nirvana or bliss-like states, which, you know, it takes a pretty adept meditator to get to those places. And then the other two limbs that are really not talked about that much are called yamas and niyamas. And these are inward and outward observances of someone who's living a yogic lifestyle. So in a nutshell, those are the, the eight limbs or eight aspects. So if somebody wants to learn more about that, I really suggest you know, diving into a class, a workshop, there's plenty of books out there that really explain those limbs and they really all link together. So when I'm on the yoga mat, I'm not just doing yoga postures. I'm bringing in the meditative awareness, the breath awareness, coming back to the moment when I wander. Um, so really the, the limbs kind of interweave, they're not really separate. And even the meditative states, the earlier meditative states of maybe just concentrating on a word or the breath, those lead to those then higher states of meditation, um, which we can call wisdom arising states or contemplative states, again, thus then hopefully leading to a, a blissful um, samadhi-like experience. So I don't want to get too esoteric um, for the horse friends out there because there's a lot of practical ways that, that this ties into horsemanship too that I'd love to share. But thank you for asking. Very few people are even interested in knowing about the eight limbs. So thank you. Yeah, no, I, I think there's just such a depth to it. And one of the, the things that I wanted to highlight is so much of it is about, you know, the observance or noticing like just the, the fact that noticing is one of the limbs and it's a just like with horses it's a practice it's the art of how are you doing it right so it's not yoga isn't like mm -hmm. i got my foot over my head <laughs> you know it's the right. it's the right. Right. art of how you do it the same with horses not like got that horse to bend it's about how you're doing it and being in that moment and what was going on. So I, I just wanted to give you a chance to highlight the like amazing depth of it. And it's not like things that you can check off on a checklist. It's a daily, it's a daily practice. It's a practice for sure. And you are so right. I say in my classes all the time, it's not how perfectly you do the postures. It's with what awareness you do them with that makes yoga yoga. Um, so it's not just the exercise factor. And, um, you know, it's not even all about flexibility or athletic ability. It's certainly not about competition. And I always say if I had to describe the word yoga or the, the practice of yoga in one word, I use the word awareness. It's an awareness practice. What are we becoming aware of? Everything. Our breathing, our body, our minds, our energy. What energy are we bringing to our horses? What energy are we bringing to our lives? So truly, I would say in a nutshell, it's an awareness practice because it, it does encompass so many different levels and layers of who we are as, as beings and how we interconnect and interact with the world around us. That's awesome. Yeah, so you um, you teach what you call collection and groundwork for the human. Can you describe I a little do, bit yes. about that? 
I can. So a little bit about my background kind of leading up to that. For many years, 32 years, I've been teaching yoga classes. And a lot of those were traditional classes at yoga studios and yoga centers and ashrams. And about 13, 14 years ago, I formed this program that I call Body Mind Equine. And then I published my book, Yoga for Riders. And how that all came about is... I was noticing what I was doing on my yoga mat was exactly what I was doing in my horsemanship. I'm not a professional rider. I'm not a professional trainer. I'm not a riding instructor. I am a longtime horsewoman and very avid backcountry trail rider here in the Smoky Mountains for many, many years. Um, So I was noticing that what I was doing on my mat I was doing in my horsemanship. So for example, uh, when it comes to the actual riding aspect of it, I would notice, gee, my weight feels a little bit um, non-symmetrical in the stirrups. Let me even that out. I'm not feeling like I'm sitting equally on my sitting bones. Oh, my shoulders are kind of up around my ears tense. So these would be same things I would notice on the yoga mat, like, oh, I need to self-correct. I'm in tabletop position on the mat, but my knees really aren't hip width apart or my hands are a little too close. So the body awareness from the mat was naturally transferring to my time in the saddle. And then I was noticing other things that I was doing on the mat, like breathing, like I'd get in a challenging yoga posture and I remind myself, oh, breathe, I'm holding the breath. I would get up to a slippery creek crossing on the trail and I would catch myself holding my breath or breathing shallow. So I would remind myself to breathe fully and deeply. So these are what I call the parallels of yoga and horsemanship. So, you know, we talk a lot about collection and groundwork um, for the horse. Uh, Trainers use those terms a lot. And I think they're very important um, aspects for um, the, the horse to learn. But what about the human? So if we are meeting our horses and we are uncollected and we are ungrounded, what kind of interaction are we gonna have with them? because they are such highly in tune beings and they're often mirroring our energy right back to us. So I like to look at the yoga mat as a place for collection and groundwork for the human, not just the yoga mat, but also the meditation cushion. It's an opportunity for us to become integrated, aligned, centered, And you know what else I was noticing, Karen? I would go down to my barn and I'm sure every equestrian can relate to this. And if I was rushed, task-oriented, um, stressed out about something, angry, um, any any kind of negative emotion, my interactions with my horses reflected that. They, the training sessions were less fruitful. The rides were less enjoyable. When I would go down to the barn and I was calm and using my breathing and really being present to the horses and engaging with them on a deeper level, my whole experience, whether it was training or riding, was completely different. Everything from loading in the trailer to to the actual ride. Um, so it was affecting everything. So again, these are like what I would say parallels of what we're doing on the mat, we should in essence be doing in our horsemanship. And you know, the, a lot of equestrians wanna focus on the horse and training the horse and training the horse. What about training the human? What about, you know, again, collection and groundwork for us, an opportunity to collect our minds, our body, our energy, and to even notice what energy space we're operating from. Are we centered, grounded? Are we nervous, scattered? Are we sleepy, tired? And then have tools to kind of manage the energy as well. So that's a little bit about what I would call collection and groundwork for the human. Um, It's collecting the body, the mind, the energy, the spirit. Wow, that's so awesome and it's so important. You know, with with helping, you know, what I do, helping people, you know, with their horses, um, I always tell them, like, if there's a problem with the horse or something that they're doing, to try to notice, like, where, what's the smallest moment or the first moment that you see that problem, something like that problem showing up? And, like, don't wait until you're at the far end of the problem. And so this is kind of doing the same thing with ourselves. I was like, all right, if I get tense and my right shoulder comes up on my horse, don't wait till you're in the middle of a half pass to try to address it. But you might start noticing, oh, it's when I'm sitting at my desk. Oh, it's on the yoga mat. 
and then to have those tools of how to how to have that self-awareness and then how to do something else right <laughs> instead of just going okay i'm going to put my shoulder down right. you can actually through the yoga i would imagine just having so many more tools because sometimes our right shoulders up because we're tense and thinking about something that we have to do at work or yeah so it, it to me it's so all connected body mind spirit horse <laughs> you know it we just is. all have to it's somehow so arrive to the same place Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, there was you know, also the, talk about training. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to tap a little bit into, you know, watching the mind. And like you were saying on the horse, noticing quickly, you know, when the tensions are arising, when your horse is moving or his or her energy shifts. And that's what we're doing on the mat in meditation. We're watching our own minds. Oh, I'm focusing on the breath. Gee, my mind just went to what am I cooking for supper later? I noticed that and let me bring it back. And the more and more we do that, the quicker we get at noticing when something is a little off kilter, whether it's physical, mental, energetic, and we have then the, the awareness to, to bring that back into congruency. Yeah, and I, this brings up something that I, I'd love to talk about because I've, over the years, done a, you know, a fair amount of meditation. But I can remember when I first started it, I was like, I'm going to meditate. And I used to like, you know, spend 20 minutes getting the house all perfect, you know, with no distractions. And then I'd sit down and I remember just being so frustrated because my mind would wander. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm, I can't meditate. I'm bad at this because my mind is wandering. And it took <laughs> so long. Like, that's the point because of course it's going to wander. So there's probably like maybe a handful of humans that are actually living that can totally control their attention. But that to... For anybody who's listening and going, I'm so inspired, I'm going to start meditating. I just feel like I have to do like a public service announcement. Like the goal is not to have a perfect, clear mind. You're, you're meditating by practicing. That's the thing that I, it's like, it's not that I'm not meditating unless my mind is clear. The, the practice is, oops, mm -hmm. I noticed, bring it back. And that, for me, that changed exactly. everything is made the difference between feeling like a frustrated failure or going, oh, isn't that funny? Look, it only took two seconds. It's gone up. Oh, I noticed back again. I noticed back again. And, and so maybe that'll help somebody else. And I'm sure you have some other helpful tools, but that was be my biggest message yeah. is like be entertained by noticing yeah. that your mind yeah. wanders because <laughs> that's the whole exactly. point. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Look at yourself as the observer or the witness like, oh, I'm watching my mind get distracted. Who's watching the higher self, the spirit self, the essence self. Um, so who's noticing? But I'd like to speak on that because it's like training any other muscle. If you want stronger arms, you're going to maybe do bicep curls or push ups. The mind is the same thing. It's training the mental muscle and meditation helps us to do that. And then you will not only find that it's helpful during meditation, it's helpful in the rest of your day. I notice the mornings that I take the time and sit down and meditate, even for a few minutes, my whole tone of my day is different. My interactions with people, my organizational skills, my productivity, my time with my horses. Um, so just training that mental muscle. And I think I'm so glad you brought that up. It's not easy to meditate. We don't just sit down and chant Om and boom, we're in this you know Nirvana-like state. And it's a process and it does take a very, very advanced meditator to get to a point, what we would call existence without thinking. So that's not the goal for most of us. Most of us get m those moments, those little snippets of, oh, this is what it's like to be completely still and without thoughts or, or distractions for a few moments. But for the most part, you're watching the mind and having a focal point, whether it's a breath the, the breath, whether it's um, a word or a mantra that you're focusing on, and just notice every time you wander, come back to that. And, you know, I do that even riding my horse. I'll be on a ride and my mind is thinking about 50 other things I have to do. And I get off the ride and I'm like, gee, I don't even think I was fully present to being out in the woods with my horse. So I, I notice when I start drifting and become not present and my horse knows when I'm not present because that's when he'll go take a bite of a leaf or a piece of grass on the trail so I, I noticed that um, 
distracted mind quicker, I guess. Um, so it's, it's like a, it's training ground. It's kind of a workout for the mind. And also, yeah, Karen, I, I do uh, want to add, because I think, Phil, this is, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is really important. No, too. Go ahead. Different days are, our different days, our meditation is different. A lot factors in what have we eaten, how much rest we've had, what's going on in our lives. So you may have a really deep meditation one day, the next day you sit down and it's all you can do to just focus on the breath. So I think it's important to know that our energy shifts throughout the same day because of various uh, factors that, that factor in. Yeah, that's really important. Um, I don't know if you know um, Michael Singer. He wrote the book um, hmm. Un The Untethered Soul. Um, anyway, he, he happens to live near me and he has a meditation a retreat house. And um, anyway, I've gone there a few times, but he, he sort of, he has a really interesting story and he ended up getting so into meditation, like he quit his job. He just went out in the woods and meditated all day, every day. But he he's like, don't do that. You don't have to do that. And he says, I don't even recommend doing that. But he said, meditate 15 minutes twice a day. And what he said is like, just start, count your breaths to 20. And then when you get to 20, start back over again at one and count your breaths to 20. <laughs> so I love doing this, but it's hilarious. Sometimes I do not, for me, I made a rule for myself of if my wine wanders, I start back at one again. And sometimes I don't get past three. I'm like, one, two, three. And then like, I'm gone for a while. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it takes me a minute to realize I'm not, I'm not counting my breaths anymore. And then I said, one, two. And so there's right. days where I'm like, oh my God, I, I didn't even make it to 20. And then I'm sometimes within that 15 minutes, I can get, you know, five cycles through it. But it, it, for me, that made it fun because I would just, you know, but it was a really interesting way to, to measure it. So that that's something that helped me get going as long as you're not beating yourself up. It's like, oh, look, I could only do two breaths. Um, but the other thing that really helped me yeah. get started with meditating is to notice the moments where I not organically went into a meditative state. Now, this often would happen mm. for me as soon as I like dump a bunch of um, laundry out of the dryer and I have to fold it. And I, I just, like zone out, but I would call myself lazy because I just end up sitting on the bed, like not doing anything. And I'm like, oh, you're so lazy. I'm like, wait, I think I'm, I think I have a still mind. <laughs> and so I've learned like, if a moment like that presents where I just feel myself being still and having, I'll be like, Hey, I'm having no thoughts. Wait, I just thought about that. But I can usually like, if I can just notice it enough to just give myself a moment to experience it that the first moments of that state i mean maybe that's not meditation you probably have another way to say that of what was happening but to notice i was still and just go with it because then i had like oh mm -hmm. that's what I, that's where i'm that's where i'm trying to head towards so anyway right. yeah that is that is beautiful and um yeah I, like in my retreats and clinics i teach very similar to what you just talked about you know a waking meditation or meditation in motion i'll have somebody mounted on the horse and i will lead the horse and i will lead them through a mounted meditation in motion focus on the breath feel the air on your skin feel the sun what parts of your body are moving um so i think that's just really um great when we can not look at meditation as it has to be something where we're sitting on a mat. Um, it can be happen at, at any moment, meditative awarenesses. And it's just that state of being integrated for a few moments and out of our mind, like it's good to be out of our mind sometimes. And I think like you were saying, oh, I'm being, might be feeling lazy, not doing something. I think we're conditioned to be like human doings. And when we experience those moments of a human being, just being, we're like, oh, what is that? We're not used to that. Um, so I, I think it's so important to recognize and embrace those moments of stillness and, and you know, try to capture those as much as we can in our waking life. Um, and then, you know, you were talking also about the count, and I do want to circle back to uh, Michael Singer, because that's very interesting that you also know him. Um, 
I do something at my programs and it's in my book too called The Count. And basically I'll just have people close their eyes and focus on the numbers one through 10, solely focusing on the number and notice how far into that count you got before your mind drifted to another thought. Most people get to three, four, five. Um, rarely does anybody say they get to 10. And these are great little tools you can do before you encounter your horse. I, I'll stand there next to my horse and I'll close my eyes for a minute and I'll just do that count and I'll, I'll try very hard to collect myself and collect my mind. So when I'm interacting with my horse, my mind is not all these fragmented waves of energy, which I believe our horses you know, can pick up. They feel our nervous system, our blood pressure. Um, I also do breathing with horses where I'll do my breath work, but I'm also having my horse on my, my hand on my horse's chest or their side or by their nostrils and feeling their breath and seeing if we can sync up our breath. Mm -hmm. So some of these little tools are so useful before an event, before a competition, or even just simply before interacting with your horse in, in any way. And I think it's giving us new ways to partner with our horse, that it's not always all about the ride. Um, and I talk about honoring the energy, you know, like I was saying before, our energy changes. In yoga, we call these three qualities of consciousness or three gunas. And they're the centered, grounded, nervous, scattered, or sleepy, tired. It's good to assess where we're operating from before we interact with the equines and have tools to change that. So if my energy is really up, I might do a breath called Ujjaya breath, which is a very calming, soothing breath to help notch my energy down. Or if I'm feeling really sleepy and lethargic, I might do a breath called Kapalubhati, which is a, a more invigorating breath. So we have tools in yoga to kind of manage the energy. But I also think it's important sometimes to just honor the energy. There have been so many times, uh, especially as I'm, I'm in my 50s now, that you know I just don't have the desire or energy some days to go do a three, four hour trail ride and hauling. And I'll say, you know, I'm just not in the right energy space for that. I'm gonna stay home today and I'm just gonna groom my horse or I'm just gonna do a short ride down to the lake. Um, and just honor the energy and not always try to manipulate it. And sometimes, obviously, if you have a training session or a clinic or an event, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to honor the energy and bail out. And that's where those tools come in to help us kind of balance um, our energy. But I oh, do want to talk awesome. about yeah. Uh, Michael Singer. Yeah. So I do know Michael and I've met him um, years ago and we um, really are very connected with the same teacher. Yogi Amrit Desai is one of um, Michael's uh, gurus or teachers and Yogi Desai is my guru and teacher. Um, so I've I had the pleasure of meeting Michael many times at Temple of the Universe. So we are getting to know each other a little bit because I didn't know you were over there near um, Alachua and High Springs. So that's very cool that you've had that experience um, to go there. And to me, Karen, he is one of the best spiritual teachers of our time. And he's so not in his ego about that. So if you know him or have been around him, you know, he's just like Uncle, you know, Uncle Mickey, I, you know, and I knew him as Mickey Singer. So when I first saw his book, Untethered Soul, I didn't even know he was the author. I was looking at it because it had a horse on the cover. And it's my favorite read and my most recommended read. And I opened it up and I went, oh my gosh, I know this guy. This is Mickey Singer. And I had known him as Mickey Singer. Um, but of course, it's Michael Singer. So, so cool that you, you've had the opportunity to study with him. He's, he's a game changer. And so is that book. Yeah, yeah. I'm so lucky that he's just... 40 minutes, you know, away from me. Um, and so yeah, somebody recommended the untethered soul. And then I read the surrender experiment, where he, you know, yeah. that's one of his big things he teaches just to surrender to the moment that's unfolding in front of you. And guess what, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> and, you know, he is he's right, a delight. Right, right. It, it's delightful to hear him speak. He's it's, you know, like a lot of these life lessons is so simple but really hard <laughs> to actually live exactly. from. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, and I, so it's been fun to go up. I was just thinking they've, they've opened it back up since COVID. I'm like, well, I got to go get my dose while he's still here and doing this. I yeah. mean, you just go there and he's yeah. there, you know, twice a week, just talking. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, just sharing, other, sharing what he does. Yes. Yeah. Um, what other things can you help people with as far as making make a yo- making yoga their own, creating their own personal practice? Mm. Um, and you, you know, listening to the inner voice and, you know, that, that whole, like, not, not judging one's self <laughs> or comparing oneself to others yeah. as we, as we practice, like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to speak on that. I think, um, and I'm sure Michael Singer, you know, says this and all the great teachers do. It's really more about unlearning than learning. You know, we have so much conditioning and, um, some of that conditioning is I'm not good enough or comparing to other people. And that can apply to uh, a yoga class. Um, you know, have you ever been on your mat and you're kind of looking over at that person next to go, oh, they're, they're doing that posture better than me. Or you might have somebody at one of your clinics and they're looking over at somebody else. Go, oh, that person has got that mastered and, and I, I'm just, I'm nowhere near there. So we're often conditioned to compare, to critique, to self-judge. So acceptance is a big part of the practice, accepting where you are, who you are on your yoga mat, in your horsemanship, in your life, and working toward your goals with a gracious attitude of acceptance. And I don't think we're taught that. I think we're taught more the competitive critique um, kind of edge. So I just think it's so important to begin from a place of acceptance. And to answer your question, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of making yoga and horsemanship your own because you look at a magazine and you think, oh, well, I have to be able to, to do this balance pose or get my leg over my neck. And that is so not what yoga is about. You can be doing chair yoga. You can be doing yoga on your horse, a couple little movements and stretches. And as long as you're doing it integrated and mindful and aware, it's yoga so it doesn't have to look like anybody else's yoga and I think it's so important to really listen to and not just listen to but honor the inner voice so you know when you're on the mat if you're being competitive if you're pushing yourself beyond your edge Um, and it's so important to just work from where you are work mindfully from that place and remember yoga the physical part should never be painful a little discomfort or challenge that's fine we can relax into that we can breathe into that but i think um listening to that inner voice and you know making it your own in the sense put your mat out don't even worry about following a class or a sequence get quiet breathe show up that's half the battle just show up to your mat uh, in a disciplined regular way and see what happens like my let me give you an example of what my personal practice looks like and when i say yoga i don't just mean the posture so i have a home studio here and i'll set out my mat and i have some candles and some pictures of um, different teachers and, and elements of nature create your space that is helpful too to create a space that you just feel good in and that's kind of your sacred space and then I might sit down on my mat and just do a little breathing. And that might slip into a little gratitude practice. And then I might feel inclined to do a few movements and stretches, listening to my body, where am I holding tension? What movements can I do to release those tensions? They don't even have to be yoga postures per se. And then I might end up doing a few postures and then I may segue back into stillness or I may have my journal nearby and have some awareness when I may start journaling. So it kind of ebbs and flows. My, my practice does not look like a traditional class. And that's what I love to teach in my um, workshops and at my retreats is giving people this permission to let it look like however it does. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's practice. And you know, the same goes for horsemanship. So many things fall under that umbrella. What does horsemanship look like for you at different stages in your life? Now that my horses are 28 and 32 and I'm not trail riding and I'm not ready to get new horses right now, my horsemanship looks looks different now than it did five years ago. And I think that's okay to give ourselves permission to kind of be where we are in our lives, in our yoga and in our horsemanship. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. 
So now you've heard me rave about the Video Classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. I love that you're talking about this because this is, this is so much um, dovetails with what I tr- uh, teach with horsemanship. So I, I tell people like, hey, it's not about how do you become the perfect dressage naturally student. Like, don't be, don't strive to be this. I was like, but what's your dream? What's your vision? And how can things that I teach help you? I think it's so easy for people to go, okay, I'm going to sign up for this, and now I do it, and it's going to look like this box. But yeah, horsemanship, amazing horsemanship can happen with a horse and a human just um, hanging out together in a field or doing something fancy. It's it's independent of what you're doing. It's sort of the, how are you sharing the moment? How are you sharing the moment? And what decisions are you making? And where are those decisions coming from? But it doesn't, there's no picture of, well, if you're doing X, Y, and Z, now you're a good horseman. It's just my, and coming from a dressage world, it was very much like that. This is the picture of what success looks like. Um, But for it to feel good and for it to be, you know, for me, the priority is the relationship with the horse. Like, it's about sharing that moment and you and this being together in this moment what what are you talking about what decisions you make and what are you doing and that's where i think the yoga practice is just i mean it's what you described is very similar you're using it as a tool for being in this moment yourself as a human in this world and Mm. um, so many you know what i teach what you teach will just be all tools to help you know help uh, ultimately if if your horse people listening to this like be in this moment with your horse i think our horses are already there unless some human has messed it up (laughs) that's that's true uh you know i think a colleague of mine paul stryberry he was teaching a program many years ago called conscious riding and he says a horse takes takes every step into the present moment, take that step with him. And I use that quote so much because it's just about, like you said, being present, sharing space, sharing energy, feeling that interconnectedness. And and I'm sure in your world, in the dressage world and a lot of uh, different disciplines, there is that highly competitive edge. And I love to work with the competitors. I did a um, clinic for the U.S. Hunter Jumper Association for the Pony Finals. So these were young kids, but hyper competitive. And so were their ponies. And um, this was such a uh, counterbalance for them in that competitive world to have permission to like just be, to not have to do, to achieve, to accomplish, to compete. Um, So it was really um, enjoyable for me to share that. And if they went home with one little tidbit of, of, you know, knowledge from that, I feel like uh, that was, it was well worth it because it's a world that is so focused on competition and the world of mindfulness and the world of the horse when he's out there in the field or the pasture has nothing to do with competition. It's just a, a pure being and beingness. Yeah. Awesome. I've heard you um, share this quote. Um, I can't remember whose quote it is, but it really intrigued me. I'd love for you to talk about this. And the, the quote was uh, to be in the present moment, but also the recent future. 
And I thought, that's a really cool. Yes. <laughs> so please, please expand. <laughs> oh, wow. I wish I had it right in front of me to give it to you verbatim. So Linda, and I'm not sure I'm getting her last name right, Linda Kohanov, who wrote The Tao of Equus and Writing Between the Worlds. Um, it's her quote, so mm -hmm. I have to give her credit for that. And I believe the quote is in the Tao of Equus. And it talks about that. I don't remember it verbatim, but it's um, body and breath fully harnessed in the present moment and mind in the recent future. And I use that all the time um, in my clinics and, and at my retreats because it, you do think, well, how can you be in the present moment with horses? Because there's so much going on. You know, you're riding on a trail or you're riding around the arena and you've got to be mindful of the other horses and your spacing and your technique. And so it almost seems counterintuitive to like, how can I be present yet still multitask? Um, but I love that phrase that she uses, the recent future. So we are harnessed in the present, that there's just a little bit of our awareness kind of looking at what's ahead, what's next. And, you know, for me, I can apply that to trail riding. I'm on the trail, I'm present, my body's moving, my horse is moving, I'm feeling the air, but I also see that hole in the ground that I might step in, or I see that bee's nest, or that horse um, in front of me is having trouble, or that rider is. So just awareness. And I think the more we practice awareness skills, meditation, breath work, mindfulness, yoga, the more we just start becoming um, more aware and have heightened awareness in all situations, and we see that recent future a little bit quicker. So we're in the present, but yes, around horses, we do need to be in that recent future because when we're not present, you know, stuff can go sideways pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's such an interesting term, the recent future, because when I think recent, I think past, but future. So for me, it just, it, it was a little, made my brain go, what? <laughs> In a good way, you know, it's like a koan or something, the sound of yeah. one hand clapping, like, what is the recent future? But for me, it, <laughs> it feels like that, <laughs> that very, th it's not like, what am I going to make for dinner later? It's not that far in the future. It's right. like this moment that's like, it's the future, it's the present, it's the past, and it's passing. It's just that very immediate. Um, anyway, I loved it because it, it made my brain stop for a minute and go, I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> anyway, so I love that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. It made my that. brain oh. stop and do that too. Yeah, that's exactly why I, um, you know, use that because it made me stop and think like, wow, that's kind of an odd way to phrase something. But then when you really think about it, yeah, there is like, what's just going to happen just that little smidgen next. And um, it's, it's a good awareness. And, you know, we talk a lot in yoga about energy and things and our energy becomes fragmented so easily. And if we get too far ahead, too far into that future, then we're fragmenting. So I think it's important the the word recent there is kind of the key word. So it's like just just ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Kathy, um plenty to think about. Where um Share a little bit where people can find out more. I know you have a book, you have the clinics that you give, uh, yeah. you have a course on WeHorse. So maybe just share a little bit about those and, um, you know, where people can find yeah. it and how they, you know, which one do they choose? How would they know which one to choose? Or Right, right. So yes, my book is Yoga for Riders. It's published by Horse and Rider Books. So I was honored to have them publish and, and bring my book to life and know that my book is so much more than just yoga postures. There are postures in there that are good for equestrians on the mat, even some gentle mounted poses. I'm not a big fan of doing acrobatics on a horse, um, but just uh, some stretches on there that you can do to you know, recenter re yourself and know that you're moving from center. Um, but the book has a lot of other information. There's a information uh, such as um, intention setting, meditation, what is true yoga, um, creating your personal practice. So it's a pretty comprehensive book and um, I have signed copies available that people can purchase directly through me or they can buy them through my publisher, which is Horse and Rider Books. And I believe we have the same publisher, Karen, correct? No, mine's self-published, so. <laughs> oh, 
oh, interesting. Okay, I thought for some reason um, you were published by them. Oh, well, good for you. That's that's great, and, and I may no. lean toward that for one of my next uh, books, too. Um, and then my course on WeHorse um, are actually, there's three courses on there. There's mat work for equestrians. There's the mindful equestrian that you can do with your horse. And WeHorse is a great online um, riding academy. They've been around for a really long time, and you can do a seven-day free trial with them, and not just my course, but um, a lot of courses. So that's that's a good tool for people. And then if you're more of an in-person learner or want to combine the two, I do several retreats a year. I do a yearly one in Colorado called Find Your Inner Cowgirl Through Body, Mind, Equine. And we spend three days with horses and we spend time on the yoga mat and just in good heart connections with other like-minded women. Um, I'm doing an Icelandic retreat next year. And then I do some one-day clinics, um, and those are on my website. I'm horse class in Pennsylvania. I'll be doing a yearly event out there. I have another one coming up in Alabama. So my schedule is not chock full of lots of clinics. So there may be, you know, five to 10 events a year that I do in person. And then I do um, present at various expos. Uh, in fact, I believe you and I met in person at Equitana. Um, next week, I'll be at Liberty yeah. Festival at the Kentucky Horse Park. Um, so yeah, that's that's where you can find me. But my website has it all. It's Kathy Woods Yoga. It's Kathy with the C and um, Instagram, Facebook. And then I do have some content on my YouTube channel as well. There are a couple free yoga classes. There are conversations with other clinicians. Um, so there's some good content on there as well. And I'm pretty accessible. If somebody has a question, awesome. shoot me an email. Awesome. And I'll make sure I include a link uh, to your website in the show notes. Um, but awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, it's such a cool subject. I'm so important, I think. Thank you. Thank you for bringing more awareness to this subject and, and to my work, but really moreover, the subject of, of mindfulness in general and how that pairs so nicely with horsemanship. So thank you um, for, for shedding more light uh, to your equine community about that. Karen, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Oh, you're welcome. Me too. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.